This is the Tech EU podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories from the European tech scene. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasting fix these days. On today's episode, TechEU founder Robin Vauter sits down with John Doran, general partner at growth equity firm TCV. Hello, hello. this is Robin Walters from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, for TechEU podcast, of course, uh, by John Doran. He is a general partner at an investment firm, a growth equity firm called TCV. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to, uh, to join the TechEU podcast. Thanks, Robin. It's great to be here. And as you can tell from the very, very small intro, is uh, an Irish accent. You're originally from Ireland, aren't you? Yeah, born and raised in Dublin, um, but I left, I want to say, 20, 20, uh, 27 years ago, 26 years ago, something like that. 25 years ago, maybe. Wow. Long time, that's, yeah. That's a long time ago. And you've been in the investment world for quite a while as well. But before that, you were a professional tennis player. Yep. Um, I... Part of the reason I left Ireland initially was to go to the U.S. Um, I played college tennis there, and then after that went and played on the tour. Um, also played Davis Cup for about nine years, um, but clearly <laughs> wasn't good enough. Uh, retired pretty early and uh, moved into the into finance, and then very quickly after that realized I wanted to be an investor. So I've been doing investing since 2006. I want to go. I want to talk about this a little bit more. Well, why did you decide to call a game set match on tennis and go into the investment world? Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is when you're, when you're young, you're 12, 13, 14, you're a good tennis player, maybe you're top in your country, your expectations are you're going to be number one in the world, maybe top five in the world, top 10 in the world. And as you get older, you see those expectations go down. So when you're 16, 17, you're like, oh, top 50 is good enough. And then when you're 18, 19, oh, top 100 is good enough. And so I think over, over time, it kind of came to realize, okay, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a world beater. Um, and then secondly, uh, I did, I've always had an interest in business and, um, was always thinking about what I was going to do next. You could say I probably potentially stopped too early, a little bit too early because it was a great experience. Uh, it was fun. Got to see the world, but, um, I also really enjoy what I'm doing now. So, um, yeah, I feel pretty fortunate in both situations. Uh, well, you did work in finance, uh, for about 20 years now, I would say. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, the Standard Group. And you joined the more equity investment side of things. So the VP at Summit Partners, I believe. And the general partner at TCV opened up the London office and you've been with the firm for over a decade now. Is that, is that true? Yeah, been here uh, for a decade. I, I was one of the people, there were four of us uh, that started the London uh, office in 2012. Uh, and one of the sole survivors mm -hmm. from that group. Um, but we were together as a group probably for a couple of years. And then over time, people go on to do different things. And I'm still here. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about TCV. It's a firm with over 28 billion that's been with me uh, under management. It's been around for 30 plus years, invested in over 350 companies, I believe, including likes of LinkedIn, Facebook, Netflix, Airbnb, Spotify, EA, ByteDance, Klarna, Peloton, Twilio, and a lot more big names. So that's quite a quite a track record, I would say. Yeah, TCV is really a pure play investor in the growth space so we're not investing so much in startups um but not in mature companies they're really kind of at the scale-up stage so companies that are probably somewhere between 10 20 30 of revenue and and growing from there all the way up to five six hundred we actually have a number of companies with well north of a billion of revenue in the portfolio i think the north star for us 
has been the same really for the last 26 years as a firm, which is we're looking to invest behind three big things. First and foremost, uh, mission-driven founders um, or mission-driven CEOs and management teams. Really, one of the things I think that we have gotten right, when we got it right, was backing just exceptional founders and, and CEOs. And we think over time, exceptional founders and CEO figure out how to build great businesses. Um, so that's the first thing we look for. The second thing is companies that are uh, clear category leaders um, in their in, in their industry. Um, typically, that category leadership is, is driven by, from a product DNA perspective. Um, it, it, and that is, that's a very important part of what we're looking for. We think that over the course of the cycles, um, category leaders typically take a disproportionate amount of the profit pools. A lot of the companies you just mentioned, uh, Airbnb, uh, Revolut, Netflix, Spotify, et cetera, if you think about them as the category leader and then think about the, the, the second player in the category, it's usually many, many multiples in terms of value that they've captured uh, from that industry. Um, and that, that's something we really, really don't try. We try to make no exceptions around that. Category leadership is very important. And the third thing is, and we get I'm very fortunate, we are a specialist in technology in the technology markets, specifically enterprise software, consumer internet, and fintech. And that obviously means that these the companies we're investing in typically have you know decade plus tailwinds, and that really helps as well. It's a very attractive place to, to, to invest. So those three things are, are critical for TCV. The uh, you know world class management team and CEO founder category leadership uh, driven by product and big tailwinds, and that's really what we look for across all of the investments that we make. Um, and we're trying to do that really at two two stages. I would say one is companies that are you know, still relatively early, but growing really, really fast um, in their respective categories. Typically, think of that as maybe slightly smaller and maybe 30, 40 million of revenue, but growing close to 100% or more. And then the other end of the scale, it's companies that are you know, proven category winners. Maybe they were hyper-growth at some point in their, in their lifetime, or maybe uh, they've just compounded for a very long time. But we believe that those companies are they're typically, I would say, profitable. They're typically pulling away from their from their competitive uh, competitors, and uh, they're going to compound. We think for you know a number of years, and maybe it's not 100% growth. Maybe it's 30, 40% growth, uh, but we think that there's a lot of runway in those companies. And they're the two types of companies I think we try to we try to go after. We talk about a barbell approach internally. Uh, those types of companies, hyper growth is one end of the barbell, and then high growth category leaders is the other end of the barbell. That's really what TCV looks to get behind, but obviously the North Star framework I mentioned around the CEO, the category leadership, and the decade plus tailwinds being ever present. Yeah, that's incredibly clear. Uh, I'm happy you singled out fintech as one of the three areas that you most often invest in as a firm, because in Europe, especially the track record is very, very heavily uh, for the bigger companies on the fintech side, isn't it? It's Conto, it's Clara, it's Molly, uh, it's Revolut, uh, a couple of other companies as well. Uh, is that intentional? Is that because there is just of expertise on fintech uh, in these parts is that just just because within that framework that you just lined up um those companies that you met uh, you know when they're looking for investment was just you know uh, really fit into that yeah we actually as a firm have a a two three decade history with fintech but fintech like any other um industry goes through has gone through certain waves uh, of when it's been more attractive time to invest. So back in the in the late 90s, we invested in a company called Link Systems in the U.S., which ultimately became the U.S. arm of WorldPay. 
We've invested in a number of great companies uh, such as uh, Market Access, uh, Interactive Brokers, InvestNet, uh, et cetera, FXAll in the aughts. And yeah, really cool co- fintech companies, LiquidNet, another one. Um, and I think a lot of the buyers then were banks or um, kind of other institutions like that. There was probably a, a dry period um, for us, probably 2000, 2010, 2015. It wasn't that we were less excited about fintech. We thought there were some really interesting interesting things happening around fintech. Um, but the uh, the stage of the company was just a little bit early, but we were tracking those companies quite closely. And then a lot of those companies were driven, I would say, fintech. I don't use the word fintech 2.0, but a lot of it was driven by consumer. Consumer fintechs were offering um, you know, financial services that were just previously unavailable to the masses, uh, to um you know, things such as you know, great FX, I'm thinking of Revolut early days, uh, you know, cross, cross-border money transfer that was not uh, egregious in terms of fees, uh, highly transparent, um, you know, wealth management solutions, you know, just good banking services, et cetera. And so those companies really started to uh, take off in, you know, in, in the 2010s, but really kind of hit the growth stage, 2015, 16, 17 timeframe. And that's really when we were able to try to make some of the bets, but we we had been tracking those companies from you know early on. Um, and I'd say one of the things about TCV is we typically we're very thematic, and we are identifying the themes we want to go after uh, many years in advance, and we're spending time with those companies' founders many years in advance, trying to build trust with those founders, uh, trying to pay it forward in many ways, uh, either with talent or go to market help or whatnot. Um, and so fintech, I think it was, even though we weren't deploying significant dollars between 2010, and 2015, we were spending a lot of time. And then a lot of that time, that investment has kind of come to fruition, as you've mentioned, in the latter half of that decade, 2015, 2020, when we backed, um, we think some of the most interesting fintechs uh, in the world, companies like Nubank in Brazil, uh, Zeps here in London, um, Revolut here in London. Trade Republic in Germany, uh, Mambu uh, in Amsterdam, um, Klarna, uh, just to name a few. Uh, well, simple, another one. So we, we feel great about the, the, the portfolio. And then more recently, as you point out, we think a lot of the stuff we've seen on fintech, uh, especially on the consumer side, is starting to spread, uh, we think, that the opportunity set um, into the uh, B2B or SME side. You know, it's interesting. One of the reasons there was an opportunity in fintech we think is because you could probably say rationally, a lot of the big banks in the world really decided to kind of go after the highest margin product for them, which was the high network individuals, and they didn't really pay much attention to the, the mass market. And I think which which opened the opportunity, which opened the door, I think, for a lot of these fintechs, especially using technology to be able to serve uh, the mass market in the way that the incumbents couldn't. Um, that I think is a similar similar trend is happening in our view around the SME side. Uh, of fintech in the sense that a lot of these traditional banks, you could say, again, rationally were decided in the last over 20 years to serve as corporates, you know, big corporates where there was a much higher margin for them. And uh, I think that has opened up the opportunity for uh, fintechs to, to kind of service a, we would argue, you know, highly underappreciated segment, the SME segment within fintechs. So um, typically, it's been somewhat similar, I'd say, to the consumer experience, but although there has been some differences, but typically there's a wedge. We, we actually, TCV published a, a paper recently called The Office of the CFO, 
um, which talks about it a little bit, whereas a lot of these fintechs find a wedge into the company, it could be a bank account, it could be spend management, and then try to build additional services, uh, stickiness, uh, software products, could be things like uh, invoice management or payroll, et cetera, spend management, which I mentioned, um, and, and provide much more than just financial services, so financial services plus software. And we backed two companies recently in that category. Uh, one is Brex uh, in the US, and the other one is Quanto uh, in Europe. Uh, very excited about both of those. We think we'll probably make more bets in that category. We also have some exposure there uh, with Revolut. Revolut also, ha- and, and New Bank actually, they both also have a very interesting B2B offering or for SMEs as well. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you keep track of these companies quite early on, uh, you know, identify the winners sort of uh, beforehand and build a relationship with them. But how did they manage to get on your radar in the first place? Do you have sort of a system for generating deal flow or is it the typical you know, VC tracking sort of the, the other early stage investors' uh, investments? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a combination of things. First and foremost, we are in these technology markets. We have a portfolio historically about 300 companies. So we're able to see what's happening in these companies, in their industries and in adjacent industries. That gives us some insight into what's happening, what's emerging, I would say, uh, from a technology perspective. In addition to that, um, being very focused as a firm, I think we're probably much more focused than many firms of our scale in terms of just doing um, you know, uh, enterprise uh, software consumer internet and fintech, we're not spending time on, you know, coffee shop deals or, you know, uh, other kind of non-technology related investments, which means that we can go deep much earlier than others. Uh, We tend to build these thematic maps based on the the insights that we have internally. These are very highly iterative processes. Um, We might build a map, for example, we did one many years ago uh, in supply chain we felt like that entire segment with digitizing, going through a refresh cycle, that led to an investment in Europe here called Relex. Um, what ends up happening is we build these market maps. We identify parts of the value chain we want to play in. We then try to spend as much time as we can with these founders, understand the challenges that they face, understand the the the, the, the uh, pain points they're trying to solve, and then try to build relationship with them and trust over the course of a number of years, such that when there is a, a growth round, that we are you know top of mind for them. And the reason we spent the time, Robin, many years in advance is because you know the vast majority of what we do is minority investing, and it's minority investing with typically I would say a concentrated position. Uh, you know, we're, we're typically you know reasonably well um, sizable investor in these companies, and usually that means um, we. Have a lot of influence uh, with the CEO. We, we, we try to have influence with the CEO, and so in order to get to that point, um, you need to build a lot of trust, and it, that takes a long time. And so that's one of the reasons why we try to go deep early, build that rapport from Series A, Series B, all the way up, um, such that when there's an opportunity for TCV to get involved, we know each other really, really well. Because I often, this, I've heard it being described. I think it's a good analogy. Um, minority investing is often like a marriage. Uh, it's never. You know, smooth sailing all the way, um, but you know you have to kind of know each other and trust each other that you can have alignment um, even before going in, and, and that's I think that's part of the the art as well as the science of of what we do on the um, on the growth equity side. 
Yeah, it's definitely a great analogy, but it also works for majority investments or acquisitions. Uh, so it basically works for everything. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So if I look at the TCD portfolio in Europe in particular, uh, it's it's mostly concentrated in UK and Western Europe. I, I think that there might be a couple of exceptions, but do you feel like you have a good grasp of what's going on, for example, in Eastern Europe or Southern Europe, Greece, Spain, Italy, etc.? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, part of that was because of resources. We had a relatively small team in Europe uh, up until recently, up until about 18 months ago. Um, and most of that team probably was uh, Northern European, so German or Nordic, uh, British, etc. cetera. Uh, we have increased the team. We've, we've added uh, people from Italy, from Spain. So I think you should see more uh, better coverage there. Um, I also would say we've you know, probably we've done we've made some uh, investments in Israel. We have at least three or four investments there, uh, including uh, Redis. Um, uh, we've in- invested in Payoneer. Uh, we invested in uh, Perfecto, uh, as well as a company called Legit Security, most recently. And then in Eastern Europe, we've actually had been pretty successful as well. We've we've made an investment in in Poland in a company called Grupa Pratsui which is a classifieds business uh, really focused on the job and HR space. And we actually IPO'd that company successfully, or I should say the management IPO'd it successfully in December uh, this year. Uh, so we've had a great experience so far in, in Eastern Europe. But the majority of what we've done has been kind of dark region um, as well as um, UK and yeah. Nordics. Um, so tell us a little bit more about uh, new funds. Uh, it's called Velocity. I think TV announced it. Uh, a couple of months ago, beginning of the year. Um, it's a $460 million fund, I think. How much of that is earmarked for Europe, or doesn't it work that way? Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. I, let me just kind of take a step back on, on the philosophy that we have. We're trying to identify the best companies globally based on the criteria I mentioned. This is the you know, visionary CEOs, the category leadership, et cetera. And so if we can find um, a great company in Europe, we probably won't invest, or we won't invest in a competitor in, in the US. And that's something I think differentiates us to many other firms. Um, so there's no allocation for Europe in particular. Um, there's no allocation for the US. Um, what's interesting is if you notice the uh, the amount of dollars we've invested in Europe has gradually ticked up um, over the last number of funds. It's, it's I don't want to say it's half today, but it's close to half, I would say, in most recent funds, uh, probably 40% or so, maybe a little, little higher. That's really indicative, I think, of just how attractive uh, the European uh, opportunity is. I'm happy to go into that if you want to why we think it's really, really exciting. But Velocity in particular um, is a new initiative. Uh, we're very excited by it. Um, it's one where we felt there were a number of companies that were just a little earlier stage than where we typically get involved as a growth investor, a classic TCV growth fund investment, I should say. Um, they, they, would, they are companies with product market fit. They are companies, maybe the team's less built out, maybe there's less proof points. And we wanted to be able to play in that in that in that space. To do that, Robin, we actually hired a separate team um, because we felt like it was very important for that uh, fund to be able to stand on its own. Uh, so we hired an exceptional team, I would say, and I give my partner uh, Tim McAdam a lot of credit for that. Uh, he spearheaded just the effort internally uh, to get that team up and running. But we hired Matt Brennan, uh, who's got tremendous um, uh, track record. And investing experience, as well as Gautam Gupta as the two GPs, uh, and they've also hired a very strong team. Majority of what they're doing is uh, probably in, in the first instance going to be in the U.S. Uh, that being said, they have already made an investment over here, um, and so 
you'll see more of that over time. It's really just kind of getting off the ground. And uh, given they're both based there, it, and the mo most of the team is based there today, for that Velocity Fund in particular, it's been U.S. focused. But that won't that that will change uh, in the, in the near term. Uh, the firm was also originally uh, based out of the U.S. from California. Um, when you set up the London office more than ten years ago, uh, can you sort of take us back to that time? Because they were, they were one of the first, I would say, American investment firms to really commit uh, to making investments in Europe. Many of many have followed since then. Uh, but can you take us back to sort of ten years ago uh, when you were recruited? I assume you were recruited uh, by TCV, and then sort of what the landscape looked like back then. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I got to tell you, at the time, I felt like we were not one of the first. Uh, but looking back now, as you rightly point out, there's been a lot of other people that have followed. But there were there were a number of people on the ground here already. I think they probably had less of a pure play um, tech bent to us. And they also probably less of a uh, you know focus on the highest quality technology assets. So I think our proposition is quite differentiated uh, back then or was quite differentiated. I, I think it still is. Um the London team, uh, I, I think when I was hired, was one of the first. Just give you one stat, actually, it's pretty interesting. Technology markets in general, Robin, have just become a lot more global, as you know, right? Um, and that's pretty obvious to everybody. Give you an idea, a TCV, when I was hired initially, I know we've had other non US people before, and you're right, the business we started in the Valley, it's got a very strong Silicon Valley DNA in the firm culture, um, historically at least. But when I was probably the first non-US hire um, or one of the one of the first. Today, I think it's almost 40% of our investment professionals across the world, even guys in the States are non-US um, by origin. So it's pretty interesting that tech has really become quite global. Um, and, and we've kind of reflected that both in the portfolio, but as well as also the investment, the investment prof professionals. Um, the London story in particular is, is a, an interesting one. I think it took us... Um, yeah, we started, as you said, 10 years ago. It took us a, about three or four years to find our mojo in Europe um, and really figure out what our value add and our pitch was to entrepreneurs. And I think you know, probably after the first three or four years, we've done okay. I would probably give us uh, give us a B, I would say, you know, solid, but lots of upside um, and just lots more to do. Uh, we've made some investments in the companies you already mentioned uh, these are founders that we're very excited by. We think there's tremendous upside, uh, you know, both on, and really across all three categories: fintech, which we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, the fintech trade republics, Mali's. We did not talk about Mali actually. Quantos of the world on the SaaS side made it, you know, some really interesting investments. Um, Relics being one out of Finland that we're very excited by. Uh, Mambu uh, out of Amsterdam, and then uh, Salonus, also a German company, and then other. Uh, we've had other, you know, vertical technology companies such as Believe Digital, which we IPO'd, or I should say again, management IPO'd uh, on last last summer in Paris. Um, successful IPO, the company we're, we're still very excited by. We still own a good chunk of it. And then Sport Radar, uh, another uh, doc company, Swiss-based German founder that IPO'd uh, on the NASDAQ as well last summer. So we feel really good about the direction of travel in Europe, the team, the talent that we've been able to hire, uh, has probably been the highlight, but I think we're still pretty early innings. I, I think we're early innings because uh, there's a lot more to do, but also just the the attractiveness of the European tech ecosystem. I don't think it's ever been as attractive as I see it now. Just just so much happening. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because, of course, we set up TechEU um, about eight, nine years ago, so roughly the same uh, same time you were you were at TCV. Of course, a lot has changed 
since then? I mean, the European tech landscape is completely different. Uh, but from your vantage point, what is the, the one thing that you think has driven most of the, the positive change uh, in the ecosystem? I should say ecosystems, because it's a collection of ecosystems uh, rather than one whole. Um, what do you think has been the most impactful event during those 10 years that has uh, sort of got us to the, the point where we are today? Yeah, it's a great question, Robin. First of all, you're absolutely right. It is ecosystems. And it's something that I think is being a European and most of the team here is European. We, we, we have a kind of innate understanding of that. I think sometimes if you're not in these markets, it's harder to, 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 to really uh, see that. Um, I would say it's probably not one thing. I think there's probably four things that come to mind um, that I think are that I think of as being really pivotal in, in, in Europe and emerging as, a, as kind of a world class tech ecosystem. Um, first and foremost, I'd say it's talent. Um, you know, I think that you need that. And I think Europe has that in abundance. Um, technical universities proliferate right across the continent. I have heard, I'm not sure this is accurate. I've heard it uh, just in passing, maybe uh, cocktail chatter, but um, that there's been, you know, there's more kind of technical science grads in Europe than it is in the US. Um, that is not surprising. I think anybody who's been spent a lot of time in the Valley, you'd know that a lot of the people that are there are people that were educated elsewhere and kind of ended up in the valley. Um, I think about, you know, as an Irish person, uh, Stripe's story is pretty interesting. You know, two, two Irish guys from Limerick uh, who ended up going to the valley. Be, it's not clear to me today that if they were starting that business, they'd, they'd have gone to the valley as early. I think in 2009 you had to. So that's number one. I think the town here is uh, exceptional. Um, I think the second thing you need for a world-class tech ecosystem is capital. And I think there's a lot of capital here now uh, there wasn't uh, back in the day. You know, I often think of the story about uh, Booking.com in the early aughts and you know, how how successful that company has been, but was really kind of sold out early to a U.S. strategic buyer. That would never happen today. There would just be much more uh, growth capital to support them for their you know, for their growth journey. Um, so I think that they, Europe checks that box in abundance today. The other thing I think Europe's done a great job on is government support. Uh, seeing that all across Europe in the ecosystems you mentioned, whether it's in London, uh, thinking about like there's no coincidence in my mind that you have the sandboxing you know regulatory environment here for fintechs, allowing them to to to, to really prosper. Uh, Paris, I think, has done a great job. I think you know Berlin, Stockholm, um, you're starting to see it now in Southern Europe, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Madrid, for example, emerging Lisbon. Um, so I think. The government support is something that we should not forget about. They've been they've been really encouraging um, encouraging things, which has been great. And then finally, I think probably not maybe not the most important, but a key ingredient is um, there's proof points. There's lots of proof points of people who've done it before, and I think you see that where in the past people get to a certain stage, maybe they get to three, four hundred, five hundred million valuation, and they think, oh, let me sell, let me sell out now and sell it to a big U.S. Um, strategic stories like Daniel Eck from Spotify or stories like Nick Staronsky from Revolut or Sebastian from Klarna. Um, I feel like they've shown the way and people have, uh, you know, lots of new, lots of founders coming through now realize how big an opportunity it is to, if they can keep going, if the funding is there. Um, so they're kind of the four reasons, I think, talent, capital, government support, and proof points that I think have made a real difference in Europe. That's a, that's a fantastic summary, I would say. So abundance of capital and talent for sure. Uh, but there's also, there seems to be a lot of pressure on the market, at least coming uh, in, the, in the 
let's say in the rest of the year, um, you already see the pressure on the valuations in the US. It's going to have a trickle down effect in Europe, no, no doubt. Um, of course, that's not going away. The four things that you mentioned are here to stay, I would say. Um, but I would also like to ask you, what are, what are some of the problems that Europe faces that we need to fix or some of the things that we're lacking that need to be in place to sort of go to the next level? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the first point, part of your question, I think, is a good one. Um, yeah, there has been a you know, this global, I think in the public markets in particular, evaluation reset. Um, you know, I'm not a macro person, uh, and we tend to focus on the micro, which is the, you know, get the team right, get the product right, uh, and ultimately the market right, and you'll be in a good spot. Um, I think the, the thing I'd say is TCV at least thinks about things in, in the long term. And so it's very hard for us to see what's going on in the next six months or 12 months or 24 months. And there will always be um, macro dislocations. But over the course of five, six, seven years, we, we really believe in our strategy. And it, I think actually I would contrast that to a lot of the kind of fast money that has come into the tech ecosystem uh, in the last number of years. I'm thinking more like kind of the hedge fund money, which is a little more short-term focused. And I think it's no coincidence that you're, you, you see them saying, oh, you know, we're not we're not going to play as, as as frequently in the start in the scale up game in the in the, in the uh, yeah the growth space. We're going to go earlier because we think that's where the arbitrage is. We never think of it that way, to be honest. We're not thinking about the arbitrage and value. Um, we're thinking about can we get behind these seminal companies, and then over the course of um, over the course of you know five six years, even longer, those companies will uh, you know grow into you know global dominant businesses. Uh, and we'll also extract, uh, you know, the, the fair amount of value that they've created. That's really key for us. I do understand that TCD has a long-term view, and I believe you fully. Uh, but you also have co-investors on the cap tables of the companies that you invest in. Do you see any signs of nervousness or or any signs of, you, you know, they're, they're getting sort of anxious to to look look at price valuations a little bit more closely than they maybe have been in the last two years? I think absolutely, absolutely, Robin. Yeah, we're seeing that. Um, I think the the um, there's definitely uh, people. There's well, it depends. There's there's a there's there's a wide spectrum, right? There's there's definitely people who uh, we're seeing that are, uh, like I said, more short term focused, who are thinking about, hey, how do I generate liquidity near term? Um, the other thing I'd say is this correction that we've seen in the public market. If I go back to 2000, what's interesting is it took many years from the peak in 2000 to the trough. To drop 70%, for example. Um, I think a lot of the correction we've seen, not in the broader market, because the broader market today is really driven by you know four or five of the really big tech names. But if you look at like the layer below that, um, there's some really you know incredible technology companies that have dropped 60, 70% already in a matter of three or four months. So the corrections happen much faster in the public markets today than it did 20 years ago. And I think similarly in the private markets, that would be my guess that it's likely to correct more quickly. Um, the thing is, there, there was a lot of activity in 2021. Um, a lot of the really great companies raised. And so um, you know, they will be able to, uh, I think, take their time before coming back to market. And also, the really great companies typically will have no problem getting funded. I think the bigger challenge will be, and this is the thing I, I really like about our strategy, is the, the highest quality um, companies, um, assets, you know, they get funded. They typically have time on their side. It's the just the layer below, not quite the highest quality. Kind of the 
the second, you know, the second business or the third business in a category, the unit economics aren't quite as good. Um, it feels like a discount when you're when you're investing, even during the last couple of years. Uh, that's when I think you can have kind of a false economy and and, and get hurt. Um, and, and those companies, I think you, you will see uh, quite a number of those companies have to raise this year and next year. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I don't have an answer for this, but interesting to see if. Um, if those companies are willing or able to make the required decisions um, to give them enough runway to, to be kind of masters of their, own, of their own destiny. One of the things I think you've seen over the last number of years, again, partly driven by a lot of this hot money, is these incredibly um, uh, uh, term light investments. So uh, very lack of, you know, equity investments with very little governance. And so when you have that situation of real guidance or hands off, um, first time CEO, does that CEO, um, you know, is, are they getting the right advice to, uh, you know, make the hard calls now? Because I would argue that, you know, almost every dollar, euro, pound you can save today is probably worth three euros, dollars, pounds in a year from now, um, potentially. So um, that is something that I think will be interesting to see who can make that call today. Uh time will tell yeah i think either way it goes it's going to be very interesting to watch for sure i'm conscious that i asked two questions at the same time so i do want to conclude because we're already way past half an hour here uh, but i do want to conclude uh, with the question i asked earlier uh, what do you think are some of the problems or the issues that we really need to tackle uh to get the fintech ecosystems to the next level it's a it's a tough one i mean i think that there's obviously there's always um there's always issues the thing is it's hard to it's hard to really be too critical, just given the growth we've seen in kind of record vo- record-breaking volumes of venture capital investment. Um, maybe I would say, I mean, that, so I would say it's a very healthy ecosystem. And I would say the the opportunity set I'm seeing here is um, you know, better than I've ever seen it before, and I've been here quite some time at this point, as you know. Maybe I would say not a problem that I that I that I see today, but maybe one potential issue is given how easy it has been to raise capital the past uh, number of years in Europe. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, like with the rest of the global kind of private tech markets, uh, if capital is less is, is, is less cheap um, and less easy to find with more terms over the co- course of the coming year or two, which founders in Europe are going to be able to make, um, you know, make do and, and, and kind of, Make compromises. I would say I'm working with one company, and I give them a lot of credit, uh, which are you know had a very nice raise, uh, you know, in, in the last 24 months, and uh, don't have to raise now, but they're taking significant capital uh, on at a modest up round. Um, and I think if this was 12, 24 months ago, uh, the board and the CEO might have said, "Oh no, we don't need to raise capital until we get a much higher up round." But actually, they're thinking much more long term. Uh, that type of decision, you know, I think is quite takes a lot of courage. Um, we'll be interested to see uh, in Europe who has that courage to think, you know, think really long term and take some compromises. Maybe it's on valuation, maybe it's on terms in the near term. Yeah, we've got the balls to navigate uh, the coming. But it's but it's hard to be critical, Robin. I think you know the European tech ecosystem is has never been healthier um, in terms of just the, the 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 talent level, the capital, the opportunity set. I've never seen anything like it in the last you know since I've been here. 
Yeah, very difficult to disagree with that uh, from my uh, viewpoint, at least. Uh, John, thank you so much for taking the time and explaining a little bit more about how TCV works uh, and your role at the company as well and your insights on the ecosystem. Really grateful for that and uh, wish you a nice rest of the day. My pleasure, Robin. Great, great to be here. I look forward to chatting again. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu and they will most certainly be ignored.